With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Edge Rush here on the Hammer Betting Network. We've got some pinch hitting double duty going on this week. I'm your host, Matt Landis, in for Chris Abbott. We're also joined by Eric Eager in for Cleve T.A., and we've got Hitman here batting for himself, along with our producer, Jason, working his magic behind the scenes. In this episode, we will run down the full NFL Week 3 slate, looking at size and totals. But guys, before we get to this week's games, it has been a wild first couple of weeks to kick off the NFL season. Hitman, let's start with you here. Any big initial betting takeaways so far this season? I, I think it's been the craziest season that... I can remember that that's my big takeaway. I mean, it kind of feels like the NBA and we'll always make a joke about when I am betting the NBA, like, Oh, my team has a 20 point lead. That's the absolute worst position to be in, in that league. And it kind of feels like that with the NFL right now, it kind of feels like there's been a ton of variants. No leads have been safe throughout the first two weeks. So honestly, I'm a guy, I don't want variants. I want um, less variants in my betting. I want less variants in the games. And it feels like that that's all we've been getting this season. So that's been my big takeaway through the first two weeks is how absolutely crazy it has been. And I hope it does calm down just a little bit. Yeah, for me, I, this is this is one where I think that and and Hitman I think is is hitting on the reason for this. It's like there's so much variance because yeah, I think talent level across the league has sort of never been more flat. Um, you have teams like Buffalo, you have teams like Kansas City, even Philadelphia. You know, outside the quarterback who actually has played really well, you you don't have a terrible amount of variance in talent. So the variance that pops up are things that like. You know, we don't necessarily know how to model a priori. So you look at like some of the the KPIs, things like motion rate, things like play action rate, things like early down passing rate. A team like the Dolphins is 2-0, 2-0 against the number. Um, They're hitting all those KPIs, right? So the the difference in talent between their quarterback and the Baltimore quarterback is dampened, right? And so, you know, as Hitman said, like, I would like to be able to bet on the difference between Lamar Jackson and Tua Tungavailoa. Um, but ultimately, that hasn't mattered as much uh, in the final results because you've had coaches who have done a great job of pushing the buttons that matter in this league. And you've had other coaches, I don't know, Denver's Nathaniel Hackett being enough, being one, that dampened the difference between their quarterback and the Davis Mills and the Geno Smiths of the world by by being you know, very bad at, at hitting the the right buttons. So to me, that that makes things a lot more variable. That makes things a lot less predictable because, you know, there are these games – you know, where if we were running these teams, the outcomes would be different than how they're actually being run, which can be frustrating. And Eric, you mentioned that if possible, you'd like the opportunity to bet on the difference between Tua and Lamar from a talent standpoint. As we turn the page to week three, the Thursday nighter to kick things off. If you want the opportunity, you can bet on the difference between the likes of Mitchell Trubisky versus Jacoby Brissett. We've got the Steelers heading to Cleveland to take on the Browns. 
Cleveland currently laying four and a half total, a low one, 38 and a half. The Browns have been steamed up a bit since this number opened, so the market perhaps giving the Browns a bit of a pass after last week's epic meltdown against the Jets. Eric, what do you make of this one between the Steelers and the Browns on Thursday night? Yeah, this is one where, you know, it's sort of you have to go back to sort of traditional football roots in many ways, right? Where you look at the Steelers with Najee Harris, um, you know, he's looking an awful lot like second year Todd Gurley, where you had a great rookie year um, and kind of bad quarterback play surrounded by bad offensive line play. And he's not getting what he's supposed to on offense. Whereas, you know, in Cleveland, you have Nick Chubb, who is the best runner in football. If you look at rushing yards over expected offensive line is doing a great job at at not making mistakes. And the defense, other than a hiccup at the end of the game against the Jets, has been pretty good and has pretty good personnel. Um, injuries to Garrett and, and Clowney might hurt that. Um, but for the most part, this is a game where quarterback play is about equal. It's going to be about blocking and tackling and that kind of thing. And I think the Browns have a decided advantage there. So um, four and a half, if, if it stays there, I'll probably end up with a position on Cleveland, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's not about the quarterbacks here. It's about all the other things that add up. Yeah. So for me, this is a game that I don't have that strong of an opinion either way right now, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do is I'm really going to monitor the wind in this game. So right now we're looking at 20 mile per hour winds and the gusts could be a lot worse and we know how it gets in Cleveland and we got to see a few games in Cleveland over the past few years that really got affected by the wind. You think about that Houston game that they played a few years ago. There was a Raiders game, and I also believe an Eagles game in the past two years where the offenses really couldn't throw the ball because of how bad the wind gets in Cleveland. And I think that if you see that it is picking up heavily, we could obviously look at some props in the game, but I think that, that would maybe make me look towards the under in a game where Jacoby Brissett, the Browns are asking him to do nothing, but just manage the game and hand the ball off to Nick Chubb so far. And Pittsburgh, I mean, Mitchell Trubisky right now is on potential bench, uh, bench watch to Kenny Pickett. And it's an offense where you've even seen some of the players like Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, and George Pickens seem to be openly frustrated in the media. So it's kind of been a game that I thought was going to be pretty low scoring to begin with. And then if you can add potential bad weather on top of that, that would probably help the case for the under. So I'd say no official play right now for me, but I'm really going to be monitoring that weather report in the few hours before kickoff. Another low scoring game potentially in our future. As we look ahead, rotation order first game on Sunday, Baltimore at new England, Total for that one, not much higher, just 43 and a half. Looking at the spread, Ravens, the favorite, anywhere from minus three at even money to minus two and a half. We talked about the Browns meltdown last week. And this game, you know, the Ravens certainly coming off a bit of a meltdown on their own, although we could say that Miami had plenty to do with that with Mike McDaniel and company. Hitman, what are you looking for on Sunday between the Ravens and the Patriots? So my numbers say that I should be playing New England. And It's funny because I feel like at least that I'm lower on New England than most of the the handicappers out there, but the market is seems to be lower on New England than than even I am. But so it's a tough one. I really don't want to get involved with New England. I haven't liked what I've seen from them in the first two weeks, at least offensively. 
And the preseason training camp reports, I've been talking about it for the past few weeks, how it was just concerning. And some of the quotes that you've been hearing of guys like Jacoby Myers about they don't really know what the plan is on offense yet. It's just been concerning for me. So it was a type of game that maybe if the line goes down to two and a half, which there are, it seems like it might based off the current market, I possibly get involved with Baltimore, but as of now, it's going to be a no play from my perspective. Yeah, both teams uh, so far. And I think one of the real concerns I had about with New England as well, because I was really low on them. I have a win total under on them is the defense. Like I, I we know we knew the offense was going to be kind of bad, but Bill Belichick was always sort of able to craft a, a solid defensive game plan without J.C. Jackson and, you know, with with, you know, not great. You know, they just didn't have stars on their defense really anymore. Uh, other than Matthew Jude on that, both of these teams have been in the top five in terms of third down conversion rate allowed. Um, the one thing that I think is going to really hurt, though, is is the Ravens for all of their foibles defensively are a top five team in terms of yards per contact allowed. Um, and, and that's one of the stickier metrics as far as run defense is concerned. So I, I think that they're going to be able to do a good job of holding New England at the point of attack, um, which is going to you know hurt a lot of the stuff that they want to do offensively, which is to get Mac Jones into decent downs and distances. So if anything, I would lean Baltimore here. Um, but I, I, again, like it's, it's tough for me because, you know, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of variance in this game that you know, corresponds to, you know, how does a team with really one good wide receiving threat, how can that team baffle a Bill Belichick defense? And that's really hard. I think teams with more robust wide receiver groups uh, have a better chance than Baltimore does. So I'm going to lay off this game just because of that uh, very reason. Moving on from a game in New England to a game featuring two more AFC East teams, Buffalo at Miami, one of the marquee games on Sunday slate. Point spread currently has the Bills favored by anywhere from five and a half to even I'm seeing one market maker offshore favoring the Bills at a juicy minus six, minus 115. So Buffalo, the decided favorite here, total in the 52 to 52 and a half range. And in this game, it's pretty much the freight train that is the Buffalo Bills against the rising star that is Mike McDaniel and that Dolphins offense. Hitman, I know you're looking toward a certain side in this one. What are you looking for when we see the Bills and Dolphins square off on Sunday? I like Miami in, in this one. And it's it's really just a power ratings play for me. And it's also about the injuries. You have to wonder when does it catch up with Buffalo? I know that they are an absolute juggernaut. Josh Allen is amazing. We all know that. But this is a team that if Gabe Davis doesn't play, who I would probably consider questionable for this game, they really don't have the best pass catcher depth, and especially with Dawson Knox, also questionable for this game. If, if those guys aren't out there, it's a team that's putting out Jake Kumaro, Isaiah McKenzie, and Jamison Crowder next to Stephon Diggs without much of a running game either. And, and then you look at the Buffalo defense. They have uh, the injuries to – not just one, not just two, three defensive tackles. Uh, Matt Milano left the game early. And at corner, Tredavious White was already on PUP. Jackson is now out for this game. And Micah Hyde, and everybody that knows Buffalo knows, this defense is built from the safeties down to the defensive line. The safeties are probably the most crucial part of this defense. And Micah Hyde is probably highly questionable, I would say, for this game. So, I know that Buffalo is a juggernaut. Nobody wants to bet against them, but with the injuries they have, and especially in the secondary, when you're going up against Tyreek Hill, 
and Jalen Waddle. I think that Miami is the side here. And I think that Miami plus six is, is a good wager for this week. As you talk about Miami plus six hit, man, I am seeing Circa as the low man on the totem pole at Buffalo minus five and a half. If the rest of the marketplace follows suit and people are hearing this when the bills are a five and a half point favorite, any interest in Miami still at five and a half, or would you want to make sure that you're getting that full plus six? No, just wait because Buffalo is such a public team. As long as you have outs, you're going to probably get a pretty generous price, especially from some of these recreational sports books that are just getting over flooded with Buffalo money every single week. So if it does go to five and a half, you know, there, there's no point if it goes down to five, if it goes down to four and a half, it's not a big deal. It's not a key number, but that six is an important number. So if you're hearing this and it's five and a half, just wait. I think that you'll be able to get a six, maybe on game day, at least. Yeah, you look at a lot of the things that the Dolphins do. They're fifth in early down run pass rate. They're first in early down play action rate. They are first in motion rate. So they they hit all and they're, they run motion 10% more than any other team in the NFL. So they do a lot of the things that might irritate a defense that has weak links because starters are injured. So um, with that, you know, it, I do think Miami's live here. Uh, additionally, you saw this number creep up from a four and a half, I believe was what it opened with um, all the way out to six. So, you, you know, you already are, you know, you already are seeing Buffalo be bet into. Um, you do see the weather on Sunday, you know, surrounding days, right? You you have basically a 50-50 chance of precipitation. You also have, it's kind of like that, you know, that the hot weather, right? Where Miami is going to make Buffalo wear the, 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 their dark blue jerseys are sort of in the sun, that kind of thing. So there's, some advantages at home that that Miami has this time of year that they don't have later uh, on. So to me, you know, I I would not bet Buffalo, um, even though they are one of those teams that they're, I think, last 11 wins, I want to say, are all by double digits or more. So, you know, conditional on them winning, it, it usually is a blowout. But I think this does stay close. I, I don't really have a recommendation on it just because six is a weird number. We did see, you know, with Washington last week, they did do the whole – go for two when you scored a touchdown down 14. Uh, Miami actually had multiple opportunities to do that, and they kicked the extra points. So there are some teams that are more likely to grab a six with than others, and Miami would not be one of those teams just because they they seem to kick extra points when they're down multiple scores just for you know that, that little extra that you need, I think, to make that number a little bit more key with the total being 52 and a half. Looking at another game that might be closer than a lot of us would have expected a couple weeks ago, Cincinnati traveling to take on the Jets and the Bengals now a five-point favorite, total of 45. Eric, I know the team in your backyard, those Bengals, it seems like their offense is stuck in neutral coming off of an AFC championship last season. What do you make of the Bengals taking on the Jets? Can the Bengals finally get that offense kicking into gear after perhaps dealing with the worst pass rush matchups they'll face all season with TJ Watt? and Micah Parsons right out of the gates. Yeah, for sure. The Bengals, the last seven games that Joe Burrow has started, the Bengals have had the lead or been tied in the final two minutes of all of those games. The first four of those games, they won, and everybody talked about Joe Burrow being this magical close game player. The last three games, including the Super Bowl and the first two games this year, they've lost, uh, sort of showing what the end-of-game variance is uh, for teams kind of playing on the edge, like the Bengals. Um, You know, this is one where the Jets – they have, you know, they've started to accumulate talent. We saw it on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, with Garrett Wilson, with, uh, 
you know, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis with the big touchdown. They got Jack Conklin from Minnesota. Offensive line is okay, uh, which is basically what you need in this league. Um, Bengals defensively have actually played pretty good the first two weeks, but the quarterbacks they faced are Mitch Trubisky and uh, Cooper Rush. I like the over in this game at 45 is where I'm seeing it, at, uh, where I'm looking at. I, I like the over in that game just because I do think the Bengals are going to be more spry offensively than they have been the first couple games. And I think the Jets, with the talent that they have and the skill positions, uh, they'll they'll put up a fight here against a Bengals defense that is good but not great. Yeah, for me, I, I think that it could be a bounce back spot for Cincinnati. And the, the Jets, people are going to forget. I, I swear, I live in New Jersey, and Jet fans are going absolutely crazy about this win. But, look, I mean, they should have lost the game by 7 or 10 or something in that general area. And then I think that we would be getting a higher spread in this case. So I think that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt not going down at, at different points during that four-minute offense for Cleveland has really affected the spread in this game. I don't know if the Jets could get the same pressure on Joe Burrow that Pittsburgh with TJ Watt and Dallas with Micah Parsons was able to get. So while it's probably not going to end up being a play for me unless we do see line movement on this, personally, the way that I would look is Cincinnati. Hitman, as you mentioned, looking for line movement with the line currently at five, not within half a point of any remotely key number. If it gets down to four, is that when you start to think about playing Cincinnati? Yeah, exactly. I mean, each half point's different, like you said, and a move from five to four and a half is pretty much irrelevant. But if it does get into that four range, then that's when I think that you start to consider Cincinnati. Well, let's hop over to the NFC, a game where one of you two is already in on a side. That can be us looking at the Saints traveling to Carolina to take on the Panthers. New Orleans currently laying three or some books at minus two and a half, minus 120, total 40 and a half. Eric, why don't you tell us who you like in this NFC South matchup? Yeah, this is one where I I like the Saints. Um, You know, the reason being is I just I I think the Carolina Panthers, you know, they combine kind of so-so at best quarterback play with with coaching that leaves a lot to be desired. Um, The Saints. You know, it depends upon how you interpret their game last week against the Bucs. I sort of look at it and say, well, the Bucs defense has been amazing. Uh, you do have the, the injury to Jameis Winston, which is which is not the greatest. Um, but, you know, I think the Saints have a little bit too much firepower here. Defensively, they have, you know, the, you know, the, the secondary that is deep and strong, basically, at every single position. Linebacker with Davis, uh, they're pretty solid there in the pass rush. Uh, I think we'll have an easy time of it against a bad Carolina Panthers offensive line. And then on the other side, um, you, you do have, you know, Olave uh, Thomas, Michael Thomas looks like the player that he was a couple of years ago. And, and, you know, the running game, you know, they did miss Camara last week, but, you know, for the most part, I think that they'll be effective uh, against this kind of soft Carolina Panthers defense, no matter who they have back to. Yeah. I, I'm leaning the other way. Personally, it's really more of a power readings thing. I have the saints about three and a half points better on a neutral and obviously Carolina, even though home field is worth less and less nowadays does get some home field. Um, I was higher on the saints than pretty much anyone coming into the off season. I'm a little worried about Jameis Winston right now. Um, he obviously has the injury to his back. He missed practice time today with an injury to his ankle as well. And outside of that fourth quarter against Atlanta, he's been really bad this season about seven quarters of bad football. And even if you do count 
that fourth quarter against Atlanta. The only two quarterbacks that have a lower EPA per drop back than Winston right now are Trey Lance and Dak Prescott. And those are guys that essentially only played one game this season. So for me, it's pretty much a power ratings lean, but uh, I would be leaning towards the Panthers at home getting three. Next game on the docket, Detroit, Minnesota Vikings currently laying six total hovering between 52 and a half and 53. Eric, I'll go to you again first for this game. It seems like we just happen to be getting through your bets in rapid fire succession here by coincidence. The Lions first couple games of the season have soared over the total as they work to restore the roar as you've coined it. But you're looking the other way with the total in this one. Why don't you tell us why you're going against one of the a lot of the betting marketplace might be anticipating another high scoring affair. Yeah, this is one where, you know, I think both Minnesota games have played to the under. Um, and that's the the preferred pace for the Vikings, right? The preferred pace for the Vikings is to play games in that 23 to seven range. Um, and, and Detroit, obviously they have the third most points in the NFL. They have the highest uh, offensive points in the NFL and their defense hasn't been particularly good at all. But you hear, you know, the way that, you know, Kevin O'Connell is talking. He's like, I want to get Dalvin Cook more involved. I want to get Dalvin Cook more involved. And I think that that's the perfect recipe here for the under. Because Dalvin Cook, if you look at his NGS stuff, if you look at, you know, just like yards per touch, just a simple metric like that. Like Dalvin Cook has been declining for a few years now. The Vikings offensive line, like everybody thought that it had improved. And then they got terrible. They were terrible again against uh, the Eagles. And I think that, you know, sometimes when that happens, you can have an over because the running game is so bad that you have to throw and guys like Justin Jefferson can make plays and the game gets out of control. I think in this one, Detroit is, you know, soft enough against the run where the Vikings are going to get four or five yards of crack and it's going to kind of get the ball to midfield a lot and punt. And so, you know, Detroit, I think they regress a little bit offensively. It's going to be hard to keep the pace that they have. So, even though you know both Detroit's games have soared over, I, I like the under here in, in uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better about the doubt. As soon as Eric said that he was looking towards the under, first thing that came to my mind is the fact that I do think Kevin O'Connell tries to get Dalvin Cook involved in this game a little bit more. And I know that Detroit has been super high scoring and everything, but I think that Detroit, Dan Campbell, is a guy that ideally wants to run the ball also. So... With this total being so ridiculously high, it, it's I probably could only look towards the under as well. Continuing with the theme of a matchup between one team with a pretty high-flying, perhaps pass-heavy offense against a team with a really strong ground game, the Chiefs and Colts next up in rotation order. Kansas City currently laying five and a half or six, total 50 to 55 and a half across the board. Hitman, you're on a side in this one. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so I like the Colts. Um, let's just look at the look-ahead line from last week. The look-ahead line was Kansas City minus three. Now we're getting this price a week later. We're not going to upgrade the Chiefs off of that win against the Chargers. It was a game that they could have easily lost uh, if not for that Justin Herbert pick six, which comp- made it from a Chargers seven-point lead, what it probably would have been to a Chargers seven-point deficit. So I didn't upgrade Kansas City off of last week. Obviously, I did downgrade the Colts after a bad, sh- not just bad, a terrible showing against Jacksonville. But without Michael Pittman and without Alec Pierce in that game, 
you were basically leaving Matt Ryan with by far, I would say the worst receiving corpse in the NFL. Pittman being back is such a huge addition to this Colts offense. You're going to get Pierce back and it's pretty much a desperation game for the Colts at, at this point. So I think that situationally, it probably favors the Colts where you you know that you're going to get an absolute all in game from them. So, although I do think that an adjustment is warranted from the look ahead on minus three, I didn't downgrade Indianapolis as much as the market did. So the Colts plus six is plus six, plus six and a half. Who knows? Maybe you get a seven by the time game time comes with all the negative uh, Colts talk out there. But that's the side that I'm looking towards. And Hitman, I'll jump in very briefly with, uh, I'll try to keep it brief, a two-part follow-up question here before we get Eric's thoughts on this game. First off, this is similar to that Bills-Dolphins game we broke down, where I would say the prevalent number in this game as we record on Wednesday evening, um, even more so toward five and a half. A few sixes out there, but for listeners who might only have a couple of outs, five and a half might be as good as they can do. Want to get your thoughts once again on this one of the odds of seeing a six or perhaps any better than that showing for anybody looking to back the Colts. And as a quick part two to that one, you mentioned the look ahead line a couple of times. I know our good friend, Rob Pizzola, as well as my friend and mentor, Las Vegas, Chris would be quick to point out that I'd be remiss not to push back a bit when it comes to anchoring around a look ahead line. Those numbers tend to be associated with lower limits, not as widely available. So what do you think of uh, how much attention you want to pay to a look ahead line, knowing that the market at this stage is much more liquid? Yeah. So with the first question, it's just about asymmetric risk. If you have a five and a half, there's no point in grabbing it now because it goes to five, big deal. It goes to six, then that that is a big deal. So if that does happen, you're just going to wait for those sixes to pop up. And I definitely think that you're going to get it. Um, As far as the second question goes with the look aheads, you know, I agree to a certain extent on that. I will say that I think that market has gotten a lot more liquid recently. I know that just William Hill and Caesars, for example, they've taken five grand on me on look ahead lines. Now, that is one sports book and they have tend to recently have a very aggressive model in booking bets and moving off the number, but it is a market that I think you there, you are seeing a little bit more liquidity and a lot more available outs are having it up from DraftKings to FanDuel, Caesars, Westgate, bet online and a few others. So I do agree with them about that, but I'll say that basically you could use the look ahead line as a guideline. It shouldn't be your whole argument because it isn't the most, it's obviously not as liquid as the upcoming games are this week, but I think that it can be a little bit of a guideline uh, to be able to pinpoint an overreaction. Like I believe that this one is. Eric, a lot of food for thought on the side here, but what are you looking at when it comes to the total in this one currently sitting in that range of 50, 50 and a half? Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to get in front of Mahomes in this game. Um, and so I, part of me is like, if you like the Colts, I think you probably want to take over here. Um, especially if you can get it at the 50 and a half or, or lower, uh, Mahomes indoors in his career, 22 touchdowns, two interceptions in eight starts, uh, on throws of 10 plus or 10 plus yards or more, nine touchdowns, one interception. The chiefs are eight and oh, when he plays an indoor game. And, and again, like Lucas oil kind of has like, it's, it depends. 
Um, but but you know, at at you're going to get great weather in this game. You look at the Chiefs defensively. Trent McDuffie is a rookie corner who was very good in week one. He's been out for a couple weeks. Willie Gay, who is their best linebacker, he's out. So you might get a little Naheem Hines in the mix there uh, with rookie Leo Chanel, as well as uh, an undrafted player. Uh, in 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 addition to Leo Chanel in in the stead of Willie Gay, so that's that's big there. And 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 as Hitman said, Pittman and my, Alec Pierce are going to be back. That helps a lot. Um, I, I just think that this game is going to have you know a fairly fairly high scoring feel to it. Um, and so I like over here. I I you know I think my my numbers do say the Colts are the side here. I just don't know after watching last week. The, to add a little bit more fuel to the fire, though, on the plus six, the Colts are a team, you know, John Park, George Lee are their analytics people. They focus very much on in-game. They are a team that if they're down 14 late in the game, will go for two on that first touchdown to cut it to six. So six is a more key number in this game than it would be um, in, in some other games. Good food for thought when we were also hovering around the six for Buffalo, Miami, where it seems like the Dolphins might not be as inclined to go for two in that scenario. So we'll keep an eye on the key value of six as the season progresses as different teams take different analytical approaches. But guys, we can move on to the next game on the slate, the Raiders at the Titans, Las Vegas currently laying one and a half or two total 45 to 45 and a half. And Hitman, I'll go to you first for this one. The Titans looked about as bad as possible on Monday night in front of a national audience, but were they bad enough to now be a pretty clear home underdog to the Raiders who haven't been lighting the world on fire themselves to start the season? You know, my my numbers say that I should be on Tennessee to, just by a smidge, but I'm not doing it. And honestly, it's because I'll be quite frank. I, I don't know how much I trust my numbers on Tennessee because I, I think I could potentially be too high on them and that the Titans could potentially be one of the bottom five teams in the league by the time we're looking at this at the end of the season. Let's start a quarterback. You have a below average quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, a guy that really needs complimentary pieces around him. Derrick Henry hasn't looked himself for a few games now going back to last season coming off that injury. They have one of the worst uh, playmaking playmakers surrounding their quarterback at wide receiver and tight end. This is a bottom fourth of the league offensive line. And this is a defense that they lost Harold Landry before the season. They have injuries at corner. It's not the best defense personnel wise. So while I do respect, respect Rabel as a coach and that he has gotten this team to play well when they were banged up specifically last year, when they got the number one seed without Derrick Henry, I think that their lack of talent might have caught up to them. So for me, I I think the line is maybe a little bit inflated, but I'm not looking to back Tennessee. It it would be Raiders or nothing for me. I'm a little bit on – I actually do like Tennessee in this game only because it's mostly a bet on Buffalo and how good they are and how kind of impervious they are to opponents. Um, All the stuff you said about Tennessee is true, um, especially if Taylor LeJuan – you know, if that injury is, is substantial and the offensive line, you know, is, is not good, um, which it hasn't been through two weeks. Uh, Henry is one of the running backs that is more resilient to bad offensive line play than most. Um, but I, I look at the other side of the ball and I just look at the Raider, a Raiders team where defensively they're not good in the back seven. Uh, Traylon Burks has actually been fairly good efficient efficiency wise 
when he's got an opportunity. Robert Woods is a real NFL wide receiver that's getting uh, back from an ACL. And, you know, Derek Carr, like, I think Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill are sort of the same quarterback. And you saw a lot of why you don't want to invest in a guy like Carr last week, where when the game, when they got ahead, he, you know, he didn't sustain the game at the end of the, you know, the last you know two quarters of the game. So, uh, well, yeah, this is kind of a, a mid off as the kids would say at quarterback. Uh, I think, you know, I'm going to take the team that's getting points at home here. One team where we are seeing the quarterback assert himself quite well early on in the season would be the Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts leading the charge for that dynamic offense. Traveling to Washington to take on the Commanders still feels weird to say Commanders, but maybe we'll get used to it over the years. Eagles currently laying six and a half or a cheap seven. I'm seeing some minus seven, minus 105 out there. Total 47, 47 and a half. Hitman, this is another one where you're on a side, so let's go to you first. Yeah, so I feel bad that I've been saying, hey, let's wait for a better number on a lot of these games. But the reality is my picks so far have been against Buffalo, against Kansas City, and it's going to be against Philly. And those are public teams where they're going to get bet up, and you could see them specifically get bet up on game day. So I think that if you could get that seven, on Washington, which we we probably do see that it's worth a wager. And I'll just look at it from a power ratings perspective. I make it six on a neutral. Now I'll give Washington just one for home field. It's going to be a lot of Eagles fans at this game. I understand they don't have a big home field advantage, but it's really just a numbers play. And we spoke about the look aheads earlier. And like I said, I'm not going to treat the look-aheads as, as if it's the Bible, but this was three and a half just a week ago. And we're seeing a very big adjustment for, for, for this line. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to give a bunch of stats that support Washington in the matchup because naturally when you're a six and a half point road or home underdog, a lot of the stats and the metrics aren't going to support you. It's really just going to be about the value of the number. So unfortunately, I can't give much of an analysis, but all I could say is that I think there's been too big of an over-adjustment from the look-ahead line. And I think that from my power ratings, it's about two points of value if we see those sevens, which I do anticipate we are going to say. Yeah, I mean, people have been betting Philly late in the week for about a year now, and it's and it's moved, you know, the playoff game is obviously notable. You know, that went from nine and a half to seven. Um, week one, Detroit was all the way down to three and a half at one point. That got back to six, I think, at close. And then in the Minnesota game, that game came off three down to one and a half midweek and then back basically to a cheap three uh, by the time everything closed last week. So, you know, this is one, again, where you – I think you're absolutely right, man. You had weight on this one. But Washington is the side. This is – you know, Carson Wentz has played four good quarters, which, you know, <laughs> that that's tough. You know, if, if you, you know, which four are you going to get with him? Um, but the one difference and, and look, Philadelphia gave up 35 to Detroit in week one. Um, didn't cover the number, you know, showed showed warts defensively. Washington does a lot of smart things offensively. I think Scott Turner is good at, you know, ne- negotiating box counts at, you know, getting linemen in position to succeed, getting wide receivers and quarterbacks in position to succeed. And Carson Wentz has been a clear upgrade over Taylor Heineke. Uh, Additionally, Philadelphia was suffocating against Minnesota Monday night. 
But Minnesota really has one wide receiver. They have Justin Jefferson and a bunch of players who are really average or below average after him. Washington has Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and Jahan Dotson, who have all been really good so far. And to me, I think that's the that that's kind of what Detroit has with St. Brown, with Chark, uh, and with Hawkinson. Like I, I think that that's the formula. And I think people look at how suffocating Philly was on Monday night and don't see the structural difference between what Minnesota offers in the passing game and what Washington does. Let's just stick on with that theme of games hovering right around some key numbers. More of the same in the next matchup, although this one doesn't have quite as much luster as the game involving a team like the Eagles. We're going to talk Texans-Bears in Chicago. The Bears, a short home favorite, seeing a flat minus two and a half, also a minus three, even money. So anywhere in that spectrum, right around that king of key numbers in three, total 40, 45 and a half. Eric, you're on a side in this one. Tell us about it. Yeah, I like Chicago here. And this is almost entirely because I think that, every, you know, Houston's two and zero against the number. I actually think they've been look. They've actually looked very competitive in two games. Uh, they should be commended for, you know, tearing it all down and, and building it back up in a way that I think we all find a little bit laughable. But so far through two games, they've they've been competitive and they've been they've been fun to watch. The Bears, on the other hand, you know, the Bears are, I believe, second worst in terms of uh, passing rate. A lot of that has to do with weather. A lot of that has to do with them not trusting their quarterback. Um, but I, I do think that just on, you know, a, ability of the quarterback alone, this is probably a spot where I'm going to buy low on the bears and sell high on Houston and take, and take Chicago. Um, Again, I I think that Houston's, you know, relative strength the last two weeks has a lot more to do with how poorly Indianapolis and Denver are playing and, and are operating than it does with any real strength that Houston has. Yeah. This is one of the games that I I have, I I can't add much to what Eric said. I, I really don't have, I make the game on the number don't have much of an opinion. If it was a gun to head, I would probably play the advantage teaser and tease Houston through three and through seven, but it's likely a game that I don't have much involvement in this week. And a lot of the listeners might say, if it's gun to head and we're talking Texans bears, then just please pull the trigger. So we can move right along to the late window on Sunday, Jacksonville at the chargers chargers laying seven. Those seven seem to be softening up a little bit as we await more news on Justin Herbert's status. Total 47, 47 and a half. And Hitman, of course, Herbert's status going to be the key to where this one settles out. What are you anticipating when it comes to spread and total with the Chargers hosting the Jaguars? Probably could only play Jacksonville. Uh, A lot is about the injury report with Keenan Allen. Potentially, we don't know if he's going to be able to play in this game or not. And Justin Herbert, I mean, he's a tough guy, but I was seeing reports from practice today where Brandon Staley was saying, oh, yeah, he he did some very light throwing on a Wednesday. So to me, it says that, you know, one hit to this guy and he's going to be in some pain. And one thing when you're laying seven points also is you want a team that's going to keep their foot on the gas pedal and try to get margin. Now, do the Chargers with this injury to Herbert, maybe if you get up 10, 13, 14 points, do you just run the ball, get Herbert out of the game healthy as quick as possible? That that would seem to be the most logical thing that I would see from the Chargers. And Trevor Lawrence, he's looked really good this year, and he has the makings of a quarterback on a not-so-great team that could, if they do get down in this game, he could definitely backdoor you 
So I would say that Jacksonville would be the side that I could only look towards in this game. And Eric Hitman mentioned with a big favorite, you'd want a team that stays on the gas pedal with the Chargers, even at full strength. I'm not so sure that Joe Lombardi is aware that the gas pedal exists. So when it comes to this matchup, what are you looking for? Yeah, for sure. You saw three consecutive punts by the Chargers after they got, now they got the 10 point lead against Kansas City. They gave up a touchdown. Kansas City was very sputtering offensively, and the Chargers responded by three straight punts and then the pick six that they got um, after driving the length of the field. So this is not an offense that, in my opinion, can can lay seven in the best conditions. Um, additionally, and you know, I I have you know within my contacts in the league and stuff like. I'm fairly convinced that the Justin Herbert injury is significant and it couldn't come at a worse time for the chargers because they face the Jacksonville's and the Houston's of the world right now. And they could really gain distance between them and the rest of the AFC and the AFC West. But unfortunately, I, you know, everything you guys are think is wrong about Herbert is wrong about Herbert. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. And you know, that you might be stuck with a ticket, you know, with, with, you know, chase Daniel out there, um, trying to lay seven against a Jacksonville team that, in my opinion, is much more of an NFL team than they've been in years. And guys, as a Chargers fan, I can't help myself. I will throw up one follow-up question to the group. If it does end up being Chase Daniel under center on Sunday, where do you think this line closes, accounting for the difference between Herbert and Daniel? I would probably say Chargers minus one with Chase Daniel. But I also, I do think that Herbert's going to play personally based off the reports that I've seen, but I just believe that he will be at least a little bit compromised. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I make him six and a half points better than a replacement quarterback. Now Daniel's a little bit better than that, but three is worth more, you know, three is not worth one point. So that, that would, you know, I, I sort of concur there that it would probably be a chargers, very short favorite. The, the other one is, you know, what, what everything I said about the Vikings is also true about the chargers. The chargers have, you know, basically one elite healthy receiving talent and uh, either unhealthy players after that or players that aren't quite that good. And Jacksonville, you know, they, they can handle that, I think. Fortunately, no quarterback uncertainty at the moment. Moving on to the next game on the board, the marquee game in the late window on Sunday, Green Bay at Tampa Bay. The Bucks currently laying one total 41 and a half or 42. And guys, this is interesting to me. We've got the GOAT up against the reigning MVP in a quarterback-driven league, and yet the total is in the low 40s. Obviously, injuries have quite a bit to do with that. Eric, when you think about Green Bay-Tampa Bay this Sunday, Rodgers versus Brady, what are you going to be looking for? Yeah, what I'm looking for is, is can Tampa Bay regain the health along their offense? I mean, they've scored two offensive touchdowns in eight quarters so far. Um, their defense has been phenomenal. I think their defense has been what everybody believed the Packers defense would be. Um, I actually, you know, I don't think that the total is the total is low for sure. I, you know, I, I think you can only play over here with the two great quarterbacks, but I'm not sitting here thinking the over is an, uh, you know, <laughs> anywhere close to being, uh, a, you know, a lock or anything like that. I would probably still go with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's always done a good job against Packers like offenses and even though the Packers' composition has been different now, they went from you know, basically a very strong link wide receiver a group with Devontae Adams and a bunch of lower you know, tier players to basically a no link system at wide receiver. Tampa Bay has always swarmed. I mean, they they had those two drafts, or basically they drafted three or four players in the secondary in the first two picks, uh, you know, first two days of the draft. Um, they they're just a very good matchup against. 
uh, Green Bay. So I would lay Tampa Bay um, here, um, even though I do have serious concerns about Tampa Bay's offense. They've been able to overcome those in the first two weeks. So a lot of these games that we have coming up, (laughs) I'm going to be pretty boring, and I'm going to probably say that I'm just looking at tease some of these dogs in really low-scoring projected games. And this Tampa one is one of them where I probably could only look towards teasing Green Bay just because with the lack of weapons that Brady has right now, with no uh, Mike Evans, maybe no Julio Jones, no Chris Godwin, Russell Gage was limited in practice today. Scotty Miller was limited in practice today. Brashad Perriman was limited in practice today. Their entire offensive line, including their swing tackle, is out for this game. I think they've lost all their linemen from last season, aside from Tristan Wirfs, who's also been playing banged up. It's just not a game that I could see Tampa getting margin. And so um, Packers in a teaser would be the way that I would approach this game. And Hitman, if you're looking to play some of those advantage teasers this week, you might need to act fast. Some of those games are getting moved out of teaser territory as we speak. Case in point, the next game we'll get to Atlanta at Seattle, currently down to Pickham. Some books shaded towards Seattle, but Pickham is the consensus line right now. Total 42. And in fact, at one market making offshore, the favorite flipped to Atlanta minutes before we began this recording. There was an influential release that pretty much wiped out any hope of the Falcons in teasers for the time being. So Hitman, without the Falcons in teaser territory, is there any meat left on the bone when you look at betting Falcons Seahawks? You just wait for it to potentially get back in teaser territory. And if it doesn't get back in the teaser territory, then, then you pass it. I will say that a lot of times with influential releases, you will see the number come back very often. So I wouldn't just run to to take the worst of the number after the line has moved a point and a half. A lot of times when handicappers are giving out NFL sides and totals, I would say more times than not, you will see buyback on a lot of these numbers. So I, I personally am looking towards Atlanta in teasers. Seattle's another team that it's tough to see them getting margin on many teams with the way that they play. But I, I think you just wait and you see if those one and a halfs pop back up, which I think that they will. And then you potentially look at teasing Atlanta. Yeah. You, you made a such a good point. And there was one that I was monitoring because I liked um, it was actually in college football, but it was covers that gave it out. Right. So they, they gave out, I think Wyoming plus 17 and that got down to like 14 and a half at some books closes at 16 and a half. Like that's, you know, the books, if they hang a bad number <laughs> they and they move on, on, on bets, they, they oftentimes over move because they didn't have the, you know, they, they don't know the magnitude of, of the reason for the bet in the first place. Right. So that, that is often the case. So that, that is really good advice where if you're, instead of chasing steam, you know, it's best for a better just to wait and and maybe get the number when it comes back or just simply not bet the game at all. Uh, because again, this is, it's all about squeezing out a percentage or two here or there. And, and if you, again, like if you're late to it, you might, you might just get doubly screwed having bet a number you could get a day or two later. So um, when I look at this game, I, I there's not a ton. I, I think that the Falcons, you know, we, we you want to bet on teams that can move the football. Um, Seattle's not one of those teams. The Falcons on a good day are, 
Um, so that would be the only side I could do, but I, I would mostly lay off of it um, just because I can't reliably bet on a coach that drafts a tight end fourth overall, given all the market inefficiencies of doing that, and then gets huffy and puffy when the media asks him why he doesn't use that tight end uh, to the degree that he should. So I, I this is one where, you know, if you bet either side of this game, you're probably going to be angry at what the coaches are doing. So just for mental health sake, you almost have to lay off. Sticking with the NFC West from a game in Seattle to a game in Arizona, the Cardinals hosting the reigning Super Bowl champion Rams. Line currently Rams minus three and a half, total anywhere from 48 to 49. Eric, we'll go to you first for this one. What are you anticipating in a rematch of that wild card beatdown between the Rams and Cardinals last postseason? The spread was right about the same, but home field has flipped. So maybe just a slight nudge in Arizona's favor. Not that a slight nudge would have done them any good last time they squared off against the Rams. Yeah, the Cardinals in, in week five, I believe, or week four, were able to take down the Rams in L.A., with Kyler Murray doing a lot of the stuff we saw Kyler Murray doing in the second half of the game against the Raiders last week. The problem I have is that, you know, Cliff Kingsbury doesn't look like he's having that early season pop-up that he's had the last two seasons. So with that in mind and with, you know, Raheem Morris, you know, Dallas has really overtaken them in this metric, but Raheem Morris disguises coverages more than anybody in the NFL, except for Dan Quinn and Dallas and the Rams in general have led the league in that metric for the last three years. I just don't know if if Kyler Murray is dialed in enough to really, especially without DeAndre Hopkins, to um, be able to make you know the Rams sort of either A, stay in the coverage that they show, or be able to be smart enough to beat a disguised coverage. So I, I would, you know, the, three and a half is a lot to lay on the road, especially given Stafford is one of the lowest EPA per play quarterbacks in the league because of his interceptions so far, five. Um, so I think this number is probably bang on. Um, I could see the Rams blowing out the Cardinals. I could also see the Cardinals making it close. I think the, the former is more likely than the latter. Power ratings support Arizona for me. What does not support Arizona is the fact that Sean McVay and the Rams have absolutely owned the Cardinals. They've owned Cliff Kingsbury. McVay's 5-1-1 one, one against the spread, 6-1 and one straight up against Arizona. Kyler Murray has had a long history of struggles not just the playoff game last year, but even games before that. He's struggled against this Rams team. Matthew Stafford has had a long history of doing really well against Arizona. And not only has he done well against Arizona, but he's been one of the top quarterbacks against the Blitz. And Arizona is a team that if you just have to go back to week one, everybody knows you don't blitz Patrick Mahomes and what was Arizona doing? They were just relentlessly blitzing Patrick Mahomes and he picked it apart. So I don't trust this Arizona coaching staff to make an adjustment and not blitzing Stafford, despite the fact that he does very well against the blitz. So it's a, it's a pass for me just because like I said, the, the power rating values with Arizona, but I think that the matchup, it, it tends to favor the Rams. All right. Well, we've covered three NFC West teams in our past two game breakdowns. Let's round it out with the 49ers on Sunday night football, traveling to Denver Hitman, Here's a game in teaser territory at the moment. Niners laying one and a half total 45 and a half, excuse me, 44 and a half or 45 and some big discussion points for both teams leading up to this one. The Niners with that quarterback change from Trey Lance to Jimmy G. And for the Broncos, everybody on the quest to figure out what in the world is going on inside the mind of Nathaniel Hackett 
calling the shots from the sidelines. Hitman, what are you looking for Sunday night between the Niners and Broncos? Yeah, it's in teaser territory, but the problem is uh, it's it's the wrong team that, that I wanted to tease. <laughs> I was when the opener came out at two and a half, I was just saying, oh my God, I can't wait to tease San Francisco. And you blink and San Francisco is now the favorite in this game. So no play for me uh, unless this line does go back into where San Francisco is the dog. Um, Denver underratedly really injured. Um, Patrick Sertan, one of the best corners in the league, might not be in this game. Justin Simmons is out for this game. Jerry Judy, we don't know the status of Judy. And there's kind of been a little bit of cluster injuries to the Denver receivers. Not just Judy could be out for this game, but Tim Patrick was hurt in the offseason. K.J. Hamler has admittedly been far less than 100% for the Broncos. You know, Denver, I think that they might be a little bit overvalued, even in season longs. Right now, their win total that a few books have up is nine and a half. And I'm just not that sure that this team is that good. So. Well, there's been a big move towards the 49ers, but I, I can't say that I disagree with it. Yeah, Denver, interestingly, this is how out of sync Denver is. Denver is first in the NFL in percentage of plays where at least one wide receiver wins, right? So one wide receiver gets open, but they are also first in the NFL in number of or percentage of throws that are contested, meaning they're running routes to parts of the field that, Russell Wilson doesn't want to throw to or can't throw to because of his height. Um, That's bad, right? If you take all of those resources and and put them into a quarterback, you better tailor the offense to his strengths. And it looks like the Broncos have done the exact opposite of that. The Niners, you know, they were banged up early in the season. As Hitman said, the the, the Broncos are now the the team that's more banged up. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy, you know, he's the Ron Burgundy of quarterbacks. He just reads what the teleprompter tells him to. And generally speaking with how good Kyle Shanahan is, that's enough. And so, you know, especially, I don't think the linebackers for Denver are particularly great. Um, those, you know, the, the, if you look at the tracking data, linebackers don't move against the San Francisco 49ers offense. Uh, so I think that they're going to have some success on the ground home field advantage for Denver in September is real because of, you know, the altitude, but it's also because of the heat, this game being played at night, I think mitigates that a little bit. So to me, it's San Francisco or nothing um for all those reasons for how out of sync uh denver is and how little effort they made from week one to week two to to mollify that eric i love that anchorman reference and in the case of jimmy g it might be a little bit of you stay classy san francisco and as we look to wrap up the week three slate on monday night football we've got the cowboys traveling to take on the giants giants down to a one-point favorite total 39 or 39 and a half Eric, we'll come to you first for this one. And I've, I've just got to say, when I first thought of this game, I couldn't help but think the Giants, yes, they're 2-0. Those wins count. But that might be the most misleading record in the entire NFL through two weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. The The Giants, um, you know, we actually have them projected now with our you know PFF simulation, uh, nine wins. Um, and the reason for that is they have the 32nd most difficult schedule remaining. They have the 32nd most difficult schedule up, you know, starting the season, they got a win against the Titans team that, you know, I think Hitman's right. They will be bad by the season's end, but, you know, preseason power ratings are basically a top 20 team at least. And then they got a win against a bottom, you know, three or four team in the league in Carolina. The schedule just continues to get easier starting this week with Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. Now, can 
you know, they have two tackles, right? Can, can, uh, you know, Andrew Thomas, um, you know, can he, can he really hold up against Micah Parsons is, you know, it, it, I think he has a better chance than most guys. Um, can Daniel Jones sort of, you know, escape the pocket that remains to be seen. I don't know if I can reliably take the New York giants against a team that has the kind of versatility and explosiveness on defense that Dallas has. Uh, you know what? Speaking of that schedule, Eric, I was looking at the look ahead lines today and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know how much of a part I want um, against Dallas this week because I'm pretty low on Dallas also. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, next week's going to be the week. I'm going to find, I'm going to finally fade the giants. They could be three and oh, potentially going into that game. Next week, I'm going to find whoever's playing them, and I'm probably going to have a good opportunity to fade them because I think they might arguably be the worst 2-0 and team of all time. And if they win this week, they're probably going to be the worst 3-0 and team of all time. I look at the look ahead, <laughs> home against Chicago is yep. what I say. And, man, did that hurt me to, to have to see that line. Uh, I am anti-Giants. I don't – I think it's got to catch up to them. That they, they've also been pretty lucky. I mean, they're two coin flips away from being 0-2 against Tennessee and Carolina. So I, I, regression has to, to kick in, but th- this, this isn't the spot, in my opinion, that I, I just don't have enough value. If I should have been grabbing Dallas 3 early in the week. I didn't, so it's probably going to end up being a pass for me. But eventually – I am going to find the right spot to finally fade the New York Giants. All right. And that's the note on which we will wrap up our jaunt through the week three card in the NFL. You can find the hitman's work elsewhere on the hammer betting network on props and hops where tomorrow he and I will be breaking down NFL week three prop betting opportunities. And you can find Eric elsewhere on the hammer betting network on primetime with Rob Pizzola on a live stream, Monday Night Football pregame and halftime shows from a betting point of view. Hitman, Eric, Jason behind the scenes. Thank you guys. This has been an absolute blast getting to fill in and do this with you guys this evening. And to the audience, thanks for tuning in to our week three episode of Edge Rush right here on the Hammer Betting Network.